1: Welcome to episode 89 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me, who has returned from his long trip to the Middle East. He went everywhere, saw a lot of sand. He tells me, ate a lot of lamb kebabs and uh, things of the sort. <laughs> Am I generalizing too much, or is this real?
0: No, there was a lot of lamb. There was a lot of camel milk, so I was actually quite tasty. And camel <laughs> The funny milk? thing was this is, and for these locals, we're out to dinner and we go to these new restaurants because that's, you know, like unique things. And so we're going to Moroccan and Yemen and these different restaurants. And, and I figured they would be liking that. And then one night it says, can we just go to Fuddruckers tonight and get a hamburger? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay, I guess that's fine. <laughs> Where was
1: she from? Well, the person that wanted to go to Records, was she American? No, they were
0: locals. They like that type of food, the TGI Fridays, the Chilies, They they go to those regularly, too. <laughs> I think they were just tired of the local stuff. They're like, no, can we just get a burger? Can we go to Fuddruckers? Can we get a steak or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sorry. I guess I didn't think about it, right? Because <laughs> I was just looking for something interesting. Sure, let's go get us a burger. I'm all for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah.
1: that reminds me of the the movie iron man where robert downey jr is in captivity in a a cave in afghanistan for like a year and he lands and his chauffeur you know he's very wealthy in the show says what do you want to do sir he said well we need to get back to headquarters but first i want a cheeseburger
0: (laughs) (laughs) certain things you gotta have so i guess that's Around the world, there's something about a good cheeseburger.
1: Cheese I, I won't argue with that. doesn't matter what <laughs> culture you are. Maybe unless you're Indian and cows are sacred, the, the cheeseburger is not going to fly.
0: Yeah. Then that will supplement to pizza could be in that list too. Something like, all right, we can handle that. That's something to eat.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe though, that maybe they'd reconsider if they actually tasted a cheeseburger.
0: That's true. I Maybe mean, I'm sure they eat turkey burgers over there, because that's what they do over the Middle East. They can't have bacon, but there's turkey bacon, so they get their fill. So there's there's ways around it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Can we go to Fuddruckers? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It didn't even cross my mind, but yeah. It's a so.
1: little bit more funny that of all the American restaurant chains, that's the one.
0: Yeah, that's the one they chose. I don't know if they were craving it, but that was their favorite. I even saw Popeyes. I was tempted, like, oh, you know, a little spicy chicken might be good. <laughs>
1: Popeyes in freaking Dubai. Are you kidding me?
0: Chris? Anything you want over there is over there. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Sizzler. Because, well, you have to understand most of the people there aren't from there. Yeah. So they've got to cater to those people, too.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's like a big, gigantic Las Vegas in the Middle East, is what it is.
0: There's a study in world peace right there. You've got every culture, every nationality living together in peace. So yeah. maybe that's where we need to go. Good
1: point. And right there in the middle of it is Ruckers, So
0: Right that. Yeah. So get your one pound super size burger and you'll be happy camper.
1: Yeah. Somebody tell the UN they need to start having meetings at FUDRuckers. <laughs>
0: That's right. It makes everybody happy.
1: <laughs> well, welcome back. We're good to have you.
0: Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh just gotta deal with jet lag for a few days. Other than that, it's it's nice to be with the fam and be back and feel a little normal.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we're going to get started with the show today. We're, we're certainly happy that you're back. I had a couple of trips to, to Florida and to San Diego while you were gone, which seems relatively tame compared to your jet lag. I did have a red eye to Florida so that I could spend five hours there and meet with a guy and turn directly around and went to San Diego from there. That, oh, you
0: got your miles going from that trip.
1: Jeez, yeah, it was, it was a lot of planes. I, I almost threw a tantrum on the way from... Atlanta to San Diego on my connection. I was so tired of so many planes in a short period of time. But, um, <laughs> that's taboo. So I didn't throw the tantrum. Yeah, I did see though, and I had to post a link to this on a blog. On my Facebook page, one of my buddies uh, posted a link to, you know, one of those funny websites. And it said uh, 15 ads that are now way too taboo. And they were ads from the 50s. And most of them were were just like totally misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't believe that, that that they could say this kind of stuff and it was pretty funny we could feature some of them as blunders retroactively but uh yeah it, i i think i'll post a link to it on the blog everybody'll get a a good kick out of it one of them was a book about how men can train their uh their wives in 5 minutes or less <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that would be on the list yep
1: yeah and just one of the one of the bullet points that it promised was how to train your wife to respond to nonverbal cues such as snapping your fingers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you try that out. Let me know how it
1: goes. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll yeah. run point on that. And uh, <laughs> when I'm doing the podcast in a neck brace next week, you'll know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so have yeah, the times have changed a little bit there. So we'll, we'll everybody will get a good kick out of that. So. Let's uh, go ahead. I've got the geeky article moment today. You want to cue up that Urkel? I know you missed him.
0: All right, Urkel, give it to us.
1: (laughs) So this one is a little controversial, especially given some of the studies that we've mentioned here on the podcast. The study basically says optimism is overrated. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Apparently you're not good enough and you're not smart enough and nobody likes you according <laughs> to this right. article yeah
0: give it up all right
1: there you be go Stuart Smalley so let me tell you what the article said and it's a brief two paragraph summary of it because I think you're going to take issue with it I certainly am all right a new study delivers a somewhat depressing message positive thinking may not be as all cracked up to be I kept hearing about how optimistic mindset was so great but then you think about all the times that striving for accuracy might be better for the individual researcher Elizabeth Tenney says In a press release and podcast from the University of Utah, she offers the example of a person standing at a crevasse. Do you really want that person to be optimistic about their chances of making it over this crevasse, or do you want them to be accurate about their chances? To reach her conclusions, she conducted multiple experiments in which predictor subjects were charged with guessing how well task completer subjects would do on a given project. So the the predictors were convinced that the more optimistic task completers would do better than the others, but the results didn't bear out. BPS Research Digest reports. That's the the Digest that published the article. In one case, task completers were asked to do some where's Waldo searches, (laughs) Tenney says in the (laughs) podcast, and the predictors figured optimistic task completers would do a 33% better uh, job at the work. In fact, the optimistic participants did spend longer trying to find the character, but they only performed 5% better than the others, and that wasn't statistically significant. What we concluded was that optimism seemed to help persistence, but not necessarily performance as much as people would expect. What do you think?
0: Mm -hmm. I put money, thousands of dollars... That the person who did that research, that study, was a diehard pessimist. But just say it, because that's a, something that a pessimist would find. I mean, because nothing rubs a pessimist the wrong way than an optimist. There's no reason somebody should smile like that. They shouldn't be happy. They shouldn't be optimistic. They should be down and miserable like me. <laughs> I remember growing up, some people would say, you know, I, I don't like you because you smile too much. I'm like, okay, right? It's there's something about yeah, that. That's yeah. just my view of it. Just. A, looking at the surface and I don't know for sure. I'm just guessing, but based on past experience, when you get results like that, a lot of times it's somebody trying to find what they want to find. But I mean, it did mention that you are more persistent when you're optimistic, but then there might be some truth to that. Maybe a little bit, a granular Mm -hmm. piece of truth. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, the thing, the error that I found here, and this is a gray area. This is open to interpretation. She's guessing, or I guess, assuming that, you know, you've got people that are going to try to complete a task, right? And she uses the example of the crevasse. People are trying to jump over it. And, and she's assuming that people are trying to attack these idiotic things that have no chance of being overcome. Does that make sense? Where, mm-hmm. I mean, if you actually were smart and you had some market data showing, hey, if I do this, I'm going to get these numbers and I'm going to need to be persistent and I'm going to fail a little bit. you know, you, It assumes that that the optimist can't also be realistic. She's she's separating those two issues, and I think that's the mistake here.
0: Yeah, I mean, a good optimist still looks around the corner, still prepares for things that could go wrong. It's just pretty much, hey, eventually it's going to work out, even though I hit a few bumps in the road. And I think that's a lot of people think of optimists that they're always optimistic. They're always too happy. And they'll never be realistic. But I think a great optimist is someone who says, hey, you know, it's going to work out eventually. i got to look around the corners. i got to prepare for the worst in a few places. But, hey, I know it's going to work out is the type of optimist that we look at and look for versus – I think they're thinking it's always sunny, it's always going to work out versus face in reality.
1: Yeah, her quote here from the article was, I kept hearing about how optimistic mindset was so great, but then you think about all the times that striving for accuracy might be better for the individual. And it, that's just so stupid. Be, you're blanket sweeping going that you can't have optimism and accuracy in the same thing. You got to opt for one or the other. I don't think that that was a a good idea but you know hey it's not the first time a study came out of the university of utah and was completely wrong <laughs> <laughs> i think there was um in the 80s a couple of scientists uh, claimed that they had developed cold fusion do you remember that
0: yeah, yeah. i do and i guess they could never duplicate is what they said i guess maybe they never
1: done it like yeah was, yeah they were
0: dreaming or something
1: <laughs> half my neighbors are u of u grads university of utah grads and you know, they're, they're, they won't like this. But, hey, I argue about them with football and basketball. Why not hit them on academics, too?
0: Hey, why not? Do it all.
1: Yep. So, University of Utah alum and professors now added to the offended list. Welcome aboard. All right. So, we've
0: talked about food. We've offended somebody. Hey, we're good to go. We're on track.
1: And Kurt can go right off to Dubai, and we just pick it right up. Boom, food, offend people. <laughs> doesn't matter. So, and then I know for right cause I've got actually two siblings who are grads that the, there is plenty of great, uh, very valuable research that comes out of the institution. We just don't like this one. So there you
0: go. Oh, there you go. All right.
1: <laughs> okay. Let's move it on. And we're continuing with the IQ questions. And we've got a good one today because you know, this is something I deal with a lot. And I think everybody does. If you're in sales, you got to negotiate, you got to make a proposal. You got to make an offer to somebody. Well, where where do you start? Because we all know that there's the number and there's the number, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we sure would like to get more than the number if we could. Uh, you know, some people, if all you're doing is quoting prices out of catalog, I don't know that you're really sales. You're you're more like an order taker of some kind. So most of us in sales have some discretion about the selling the product and and negotiating on price, and that's where this question comes from. If you want to take the persuasion IQ test, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a link to do it there. And we are continuing to just give away answers for this uh, on here. So listen to the podcast and take it, and you'll be super smart. We'll send you a certificate that says you're super smart. So there you go. I want one of those. Well, you're not going to get one. (laughs) You wrote the test. Come on, man. All right. So here we go. When you come into a negotiation with a high number you must make sure it is a justifiable b the second offer on the table c overwhelming d 200% more or less than expected e your final offer what do you think
0: well that one's going to be a justifiable
1: it you could some people might make the case for some of these other ones in fact i've heard that uh, for most attorneys when they're talking settlement the thing they automatically do is triple. When somebody makes mm-hmm. them a settlement offer, they come back triple, and that's just par for the course.
0: Yeah, and that's the one thing we talk about negotiation. First of all, it is a game, and you have to play the game. Some people say, well, I'm just going to give my best offer right up front. Well, if they're expecting to negotiate and you only have one offer, there's going to be resistance and buyer's remorse, as we call it, or dissonance to where, wait a minute, that was too easy. What's wrong? What's going on? So you have to play the game. And sometimes you do 200%, you could triple, double or triple what you're doing. But what I'm talking about here is that when you come up with a number, it's got to be something justifiable. Because if you hit the insult zone and you're way out in the left field, whether it's too high or too low, it's going to cause major resistance and distrust. There has to be some research done or a way that you're showing them how you get the number. Well, based on my formula or the research shows or the comps show, To where you've come up with a number that's semi-realistic, and you probably want it as high or as low as you can, and it might be double or triple that number, but it can't seem like you've pulled it out of the air, and that it's something that's based on something, that it's somehow justifiable in your mind, because if you come out with some number that just sounds like so atrocious, so way out there, not even thinking, not even trying, you're starting a negotiation with a lot of resistance.
1: I think this comes mostly from understanding what your your prospects' needs are, understanding the market, understanding where you, you need to be, of course, and you've got to be able to pass the straight face test, right? I knew an attorney that uh, would tell me, hey, look, anytime I'm going to make an argument to the judge, I have to put that argument through the straight face test. <laughs> if I can't look at the judge and I can't say it with a straight face, then I am not going to say it to him. That's probably a good rule to apply here. What do you think?
0: Good rule to apply. And that reminds you of the movie Liar, Liar, which has <laughs> the lawyer who couldn't lie, which is a fun movie. But, yeah, you got to be able to say it. Now, it might be way out there in double or triple, but you said based on the formula that I use for every situation like this, for every home that I buy, for every time I make an offer on so-and-so, it makes a huge difference. And part of that, too, can not only be the research and what you've done, and it could be your personal formula that you use every time. It just can't seem like you pulled it out of the air. And Part of that's going to be how the number looks. If you offer $100,000, that's not that believable. It's too round. It sounds like you made it up. Make it an odd number. Make it end in the number seven. And it's interesting that the way the number ends, if it ends in an odd number, it's more persuasive than an even number. And if it ends in seven, it's more persuasive at all. And it looks like you've done your research that you didn't pull some big round number out of the air. So a little adjustment like that can really help you at the negotiation table.
1: But they know you're doing it. Does I mean, I pay four ninety nine for something. It's it's basically five bucks. But uh, does it really work?
0: It does. Study after study shows, especially on items you're really not thinking that much of, because we always see the number on the left versus thinking the number on the right. Sometimes you say, "Well, that's five dollars." But even in negotiation, I'm not saying some weird random number with $0.27, cents, but a number it looks like you've done some research that you didn't just pull the number out of the air because what are the chances that it's exactly $100,000? Now that, yeah, there's yeah. already two points against you and it sounds like you're just guessing at the number versus, hey, here's our standard formula, here's the research, here's the comps, this is what other people do, this is a standard practice in our industry. Whatever it is you use, that plus the number can really help you out, making it look justifiable. Make it a look like you didn't pull it the air. Make it a look that you thought it through, that you just didn't take some number and triple it or take some number that you've guessed would be a cool number for you to get.
1: Yeah, along that line, my wife and I were driving the other day past a, a new, uh, new townhome development that's near our house. And there was a big sign by the builder out on the highway, new townhomes from the high 100s. And I turned to my wife and I said, that means there is a townhome in there with Formica countertops and no appliances and two bedrooms and a one-car garage and the most basic, basic builder-grade materials you can, and it's $199,000, right? You
0: have to hook up your own toilets to the septic tanks or to the sewage system.
1: Yep, but (laughs) But uh, it it passes the straight face test. I mean, you can say, yeah, we do have options from the high 190s, and you really do – but I found myself, even knowing what was going on there, and almost everybody does, going, oh, well, it, they, they, set, they set the terms, right? We've talked about how one of the common negotiation blunders out there is, oh, you can't be the one to make the first offer. Well, in a way, with that sign, they have. And guess what? They decided the bracket that, uh, or, or where this was going to be played, what yard line we were going to play this game on, and, and started the bottom And uh, I, I think it's effective. It's effective. It's cheesy, but it gets the number in our subconscious, and they made the rules.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about that. It is okay to make that first offer because you establish the starting point of the negotiation. You get to start as high or as low as you want, and study after study shows that you get better terms when you start. That's the first thing, and the second thing is is now they're more willing and more open to cooperate and listen and go back and forth, but if both sides are holding their cards tight no one wants to go first, they've been to the same negotiation school about never make the first offer, nothing's going to happen, there's going to be resistance. And it's going to go nowhere. Now, if you haven't done any research, you have any idea what something's worth, don't make the first offer. But for the most part, it's a great tool to have in your toolbox.
1: You're right. If you have no idea, then don't make the first offer. And I think what these people did, this home builder, is, well, most of the people that drove by that sign immediately disqualified themselves for whatever reason. Too low price, too high of a price. So I think we, we want to qualify our statement by saying, that it's okay to make the first offer to a qualified prospect. Now, you might not know if somebody is a qualified prospect or not. Just because you don't know at that moment doesn't mean that they're not qualified. But you, you've got to go through that. Are they in the market? About where do they want to be before you come in with something like that? Because otherwise you could offend them or you could even just completely waste your time. So it's totally okay to make the first offer to a qualified prospect. But don't just shoot in the dark. That's that's dumb.
0: Exactly. you got to do your research and understand both sides. Put yourself in their shoes. And I've always said you're either going to pay with lost income on the negotiation or pay with your time up front doing a little research because it makes the biggest difference in the world.
1: How do you want to pay? There's no free lunch, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. You're going to pay somehow.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, let's continue on. That's uh, our topic for the day on the negotiation and the making the first offer. But, Kurt, of course, with that much air travel, that much time in hotels and restaurants, there's got to be a blunder in there somewhere, isn't there?
0: (laughs) Don't, don't, don't. Where do you want me
1: to start? I can talk about hotel blunders. (laughs) I don't like airlines today. Why don't you nail them?
0: Airport blunders. (laughs) Yeah, The Amsterdam airport, so so much security, you can't even get water onto an airplane, but that's a whole other thing. You're getting screened twice, but I don't know if there's a lot of terrorists there or what. But this comes from an airline. For the most part, I had great seats. I was upgraded. They flew me business class. It was great. There were a few shorter two, three-hour flights where they just put me on a regional carrier. I didn't care that much. It was a short flight. So I'm in an aisle seat, and I was tired. There are time zone issues. It's almost exactly 12 hours difference. And so I had fallen asleep, and I guess my knee had slowly eased itself into the aisle, and wham, with the cart. And, man, did it hurt. I was just glad I didn't yell anything profane at the time, but it really <laughs> hurt. And this guy looks at me like, stupid. What are you doing that for? You knee in, in the aisle. He did it. No apologies. No apologies he just treated like it was dumb. He's all, sir, get your knee out of the aisle and moved on. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he did this once. It was right over my foot (laughs) and my knee. And and maybe it was my fault. I, I don't know. But A, it hurts. B, a simple apology is very cheap. But I was pretty upset the way he treated me. And he probably, on his end, he's tired of ramming people. It's the passenger's fault. And when you're in a service industry, you've got to be really careful on how you treat people. And even in customer service, where you get the same complaints over and over again, you've got to be careful as far as, well, your fault, you're the stupid one, why did you do that, versus a simple apology. I was pretty mad. He whacked me pretty hard a couple of times, and he didn't care. He was mad at me, and there was no apology, so... That is the blunder because I will never fly that airline again.
1: Yeah. It's not the bruised knee. It's the bruised ego, right?
0: Maybe it was my fault. It probably was. I know I fell asleep. Usually, most airlines will check and try to make sure they don't whack people, but it was just something that's even important in negotiation. Apology costs you nothing. It is very cheap. It disarms people. Even if it was my fault. You got to be careful with something like that when you treat someone that way because it could really quickly escalate and backfire on
1: you. What's the name of the airline? Sell them out. We got we got (laughs) listeners in the Middle East. I got to say it was written in Arabic, so I'm not (laughs)
0: quite sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but,
0: yeah, it's one of those ones where you're like, really? And, and maybe it was a cultural thing. I don't know. But usually most airlines are pretty good about not whacking your knee. But this guy was, I think he probably even sped up when he saw my knee.
1: <laughs> yeah, he de- he decided he's going to learn you a good lesson there, right? <laughs> good lesson.
0: Dare you put the knee in the aisle on my airplane when I'm trying to serve people drinks. And he, Come on.
1: And he is flying around, pushing carts up and down on aisles all day every day. And I bet you he gets really tired of telling people to move their knee. And to him, it might feel good every now and then smack a knee, right? (laughs) I already said that on the PA 10 times. I do a lot a lot of what you do, um, but on real estate, I give workshops on that. And I was giving one in San Diego over the last couple of days, and I found myself doing that. I, I had been on a long stretch of them. I was real tired of saying the same thing over and over again and pretending like it's the first time I ever said it. OK, and I was getting these questions and I've answered them seven million times and I found myself getting a little impatient. And I, I had to really check that and say, hey, look, you've heard the question. You've thought it through a billion times but this is literally the first time this person has ever thought of this. And if you're going to do a good job here, you really have to dig deep and uh, answer it as best you can. And then you got to take a couple of weeks off because <laughs> you're <laughs> you're in burnout. And that, that flight attendant needs some time no, off. I-
0: that's a great point because I thought about that too. I was training you know, three, four, five days in a row, and and you take a fifteen minute break. And speakers don't get breaks, and right, the people have questions, they will want a book signed, they'll have something up, they want something exciting they learned, and you usually just don't get a break ever, right? Yeah, I know. Unless you hide or you run because people just swarm you and they want this and that. I'm like. On one hand, well, it's kind of rude. I would like a break. I'd like to decompress. I'd like to go to the restroom. I'd like to get something to eat. But you don't get that. But you think it through. This is their first time. They're excited. It's not that like they're trying to be rude. You just have to deal with the questions. And that's true with customer service, too. You want to call somebody dumb. <laughs> might feel good every once in a while. But you got to realize it's the first time they've asked it, the first time they've done that, the first time they attended. And you've got to handle it that way. Otherwise, you probably need to get into another business.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I did call a guy out on it once in Orlando where I said, okay, we're going to take a break for lunch and pick it up at one o'clock. Well, can't we do a working lunch? And I was exhausted. I mean, lunch (laughs) is my happy time, right? Oh yeah. I watch ESPN and I don't talk at all because you're exhausted. (laughs) I mean, standing up in front and talking, it's tiring. And I said, so you want me to just keep going while you guys eat lunch? And I said it like it might be a possibility. Cause I do, I wanted to lure him out <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And I said, so when in the blankety blank, am I going to eat lunch? <laughs> and it, it was funny. This one had gone south. Um, so it wasn't a big deal. He, uh, he was kind of a heckler and I kind of had the permission of the audience to, uh, to slam him. So it, uh, it was fun. That's the only time I've ever done it. And,
0: uh, but it feels good every once in a while,
1: every once in a while, you got to slam that knee. <laughs> And, uh, That's right. sometimes the customer is inconsequential. I hate to say that, <laughs> but this guy was, maybe you were inconsequential, Kurt.
0: Uh, yeah. Important tips from the podcast. Yeah, yeah it's just, I was thinking too much of myself when I screamed. Yeah, Maybe,
1: uh, <laughs> next time you get poor customer service listeners, maybe you're just not worth anything.
0: <laughs> That's right. They have too many customers. They don't want you anyway. Yeah. Come
1: on. Yeah. So should, should we end this thing on a high note? Is that what you're saying?
0: I don't know. What do you have?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to wrap it up uh, before we've, we've essentially told our listeners that they might be worthless. So <laughs> that, that's our, our exit cue. Everybody, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. You might not ever listen again after today, um, especially if you think you're worth something if you're from India or you're a graduate of the University of Utah. Those are the three that we hit today, right?
0: Yeah, we got it good. Yeah,
1: that's everybody. I mean, unless you're (laughs) not one of those and you think you're worthless. So we'll catch you next week on on another episode. Make sure you subscribe to us on on iTunes. You can just type in Maximize Your Influence in the iTunes store, and you'll see the podcast pop up there. Make sure you check out universityofpersuasion.com, where for less than the cost of a Honda Civic, you can get great tips on persuasion many of them free. Uh, Some of them are going to run you a little bit of money that is going to totally, totally make a huge difference in your ability to persuade and influence because that's what we do here. And we appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next week on another episode.
0: Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next week.